If you've struggled with stress, balance, or burnout, and simply feel discouraged or even defeated, and if you're ready to move from force to flow and enjoy ultimate Zen success in your career, health, or relationships, then the Zen Success Show is for you. Your host, Carissa Sims, is an entrepreneur, corporate consultant, best-selling author, meditation teacher, and healer who has found her own Zen success. Here's your host, Carissa Sims. Welcome to this week's episode of Zen Success. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jean Pranger. Let me share a little bit about Gene and his incredible book, Do Something Wonderful. He's a successful entrepreneur, inventor, author, speaker, and thought leader. He's the creator and author of the Do Something Wonderful Protocol. I'm sure I can learn so much from you. Oh my gosh. I'm going to soak up all I can today of your wisdom and experience. Gene has a proven methodology to help individuals find inner peace and connection in their communities, leading to a happier and more fulfilling life. The DSW protocol, no, it's not the shoe company. This is much (laughs) grander with a bigger purpose. It was developed after seeing his father suffer from a series of unfortunate events, ultimately leading to a suicide attempt. Gene saw the same pattern begin to emerge in his own life and decided to document and put it into practice, the DSW protocol for his benefit and others. He's a popular figure in the consumer products and financial services industry. Gene has created and guided some of the most well-known global brands, amazing, and new product introductions. Gene went on to design over 500 retail bank branches. Oh, cool. And is credited for inventing, oh my God. The video banking, interactive teller machine, and mobile video banking. He now holds more than 31 U.S. patents, trademarks, and copyrights for his creations. Welcome, Gene. Thank you. It's wonderful to be with you. I I love the introduction. I I was thinking, who is that person you're talking about? (laughs) Yeah. And you're like, I'm amazing. (laughs) You did so many wonderful things in your life. So what was the inspiration um, behind this book? You had already created this protocol and then you're putting it into the book? Yes. So the the real impetus for this whole development process really centers on um, the experience that I had with my father. And I remember standing in Minneapolis. We lived in Minneapolis for 20 years prior to moving out west. And I was on the phone with a police department out in McMinnville, Oregon. I was asking them uh, to make a welfare check on my father because he had left a message on my voicemail earlier in the day that is what sounded like a final goodbye. It sounds like, well, it was nice seeing you and uh, I was hoping to talk with you, but um, I hope we see each other at some point in the future. And it was almost like, it sounded like a nice message, but it sounded like a final goodbye. 
And so I started calling people in our family to ask them if they had received similar phone calls than they had. Um, and that's why so I you weren't them. living in the same town as no, him. no. Okay. So that's why I called the McMinnville police, which was 2000 miles away. And I had them go over to actually, uh, visit, uh, my father's home and they weren't able to get in because all the doors were locked. And, and while, meanwhile, I was calling over and over and over again, prior to the, the police getting there and no, no answer, no life that was coming to the phone. So they ended up, um, knocking the door down. They found him on the bed. He had taken a bottle of sleeping pills and they brought the EMTs in to actually pump his stomach. And while I was on the phone the entire time in this process, and I kept on thinking to myself, how in the world did we get here? How did this happen? And I couldn't really determine exactly Mm. what the steps, one, how could have been prevented and what caused it. And what caused it, as I found out later on, he, he did recover um, sufficiently after taking uh, being taken to the mental state hospital in Oregon and a very long recovery path. And he lived for another 10 years. Um, but in that process, I was asking, so I was trying to get a feeling for exactly kind of what transpired. And I had access to all this, the psychiatric records too, because of um, that I was helping through that transition process for him. And to find out he grew frustrated, he grew isolated, He didn't have any type of companionship uh, around him at that time. Um, In addition to that, he was uh, he had lost his business through um, a person that he sold the business to. And then they declared bankruptcy. And so he he lost most of his assets in that process. And so he didn't feel he was like in financial ruin at that point as well. So the whole the whole concept is I kept on thinking to myself, what in the world could we have done to help mitigate this or help intersect this particular pathway? And then about uh, five years after my father passed away, I was finding those same type of symptoms show up in my own life. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I was dealing with a pretty successful business, but I still remember the day that I went into the Marriott Camelback golf course and I ran into a very cheerful golfer and uh, he was excited for the day to begin. And I was looking around. I, I can't understand why in the world he's so happy. You know, the, the weather was literally perfect. Um, yeah. We're looking forward to a fun time on the golf course. For some reason, I couldn't find a temporary moment of joy ah. at that moment. And I thought to myself, you know, kind of what is wrong with me? And that's mm. when I started putting everything that I've been thinking about previously into a format that is digestible for myself and for others. Um, mm. And that's what I call the Do Something Wonderful Principle uh, protocol oh. today. Oh, that's wonderful. So so he didn't actually succeed, correct? No, he did not. Oh yeah. my gosh. So you yeah. really saved his life. That is so touching. That's incredible. Did you ever notice any of these, like the downward spiral or tendencies growing up? Or this was you all know, new. I no, I noticed that occasionally he would go into these little dark holes, and mm-hmm. uh, and it took him, you know, at first like a day or two to work himself out, and then became a little bit longer. And so he was diagnosed afterwards of having manic depressive episodes that was triggered by these events that had occurred. Mm-hmm. And after after that, he would go into these periods of time where he would be lost for a long period of time before he would start coming back and start living. And this is very contrasting because he 
before this, even though he had these momentary periods, he was very engaged in life. He was very creative. Um, and he had a number of different businesses that he was operating. Um, and so it was a much more of a pre and a post contrast to what his life was. Mm, yeah, that's interesting. And so, so you kind of felt, found yourself feeling these similar, um, things, but you were, but you had a successful business, correct? What were you, were you yeah. doing this banking or? Yeah. Um, gold- so- I, I had a number of different type of, um, um, I, I mean, I had a good education. I, you know, I went to Northwestern, got my graduate degree from there. And then I was in the advertising agency business for 10 years and worked. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm the one that kind of created the whole impetus of figuring out whether there was a niche in the marketplace for frozen food product. And that ended up becoming healthy choice. Um, oh. and, and then I worked on a number of other global brands and then I started my own business and then that led into technology development. And, oh. and I, I mean, I've had a very, very successful career. And I think that's an important point to note is that, mm. that these issues that we're confronted with today uh, do not discriminate yes. uh, in terms of success patterns, the, your, what your bank account is, um, mm. or, you know, what type of DNA that you might be inheriting from your parents. They can Mm -hmm. hit anybody at any time, at any period in their lives, um, all the way from young children, all the way to 80 and 90 year old uh, adults. And so it's just a matter, I think that what the protocol that I've developed helps people get their mind in a healthier place in a world that is a uh, in a very unique situation, and and this is something you speak to in your podcast pretty frequently, are the number of factors that influence our environment. You know, it's just not um, it's just not the type of food that we eat, which is can be considered uh, most of it, the vast majority of it, not very healthy for us, given how it's produced, how it's sprayed, all the chemicals that we're dealing with in our environment. And then we're dealing with the pollution of our environment anyway, you know, just in a normal type of way, just with exhaust and everything else. And then you also have an information information overload, um, both through social media and through news medias <clears throat> that are many times emphasizing these negative storylines that it's becoming embedded into our psyche um, so often. So we deal, we, we're dealing with all these issues, let alone what we might be going through from a DNA perspective, just because of who we are um, or <clears throat> the type of life events that may occur to us, whether it be a bankruptcy <clears throat> or some other type of event in our life. Yeah, absolutely. Do you, I, I find it interesting that you said, you know, that this, these kind of feelings do not discriminate and, and especially because you hear about it with successful people. I mean, I mean, I know not necessarily your father, but with you, I'm wondering if there's something too, that comes up where a person may not realize it, but they're looking for meaning. They're looking for more purpose in their life than the success has brought them. I think you're absolutely right. I think that if you look at the way I kind of conducted my life in many ways, it was geared towards very much of a monetary business success, getting people together, deliver objectives. You get people on board with you and you deliver on time, on budget, and and it has a PL associated with it, right? Mm-hmm. 
And <clears throat> I think that that when you get into that trap, which many, many business people are have that mindset because that's how we're measured. I mean, that's the only yeah, way. Yeah, in a society. Measured. Yeah, in society. In our family. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, that we have to begin thinking outside of that. Now, I'm not saying that business is unimportant. And <laughs> yeah. is unimportant. I didn't feel that. Yeah. yeah. I, but, but you do want to say that. Yeah. But what I do want to say is, is that there needs to be a balance. And that's where the protocol comes into play, to be honest with you, because what we ask people to go through, and this is kind of the jarring experience that I went through. I went through a 100 day journey that allowed me to be able to do um, one kind act for four or five days. And then I do something good for myself once or twice each week. And so you continue that pattern for a total of 100 days and your mind begins changing at around that 50 to 70 day mark where you Mm. begin thinking outwardly more than you're thinking about what's in it for me. How do I achieve my goals? How do I achieve my objectives? And to a great extent, I think that's where I ended up getting lost. And I think that's where many people end up getting lost is that they begin thinking so inwardly, well, I'm going to go, you know, today I'm going to go feed myself lunch. I'm going to go to the golf course and try to make a hole in one. And then I'm Mm -hmm. going to schedule a massage just for me. It becomes me, myself, and I of how we navigate our lives. And all that we can think about is what's in it for me as opposed to thinking externally. And if we do think externally, we only think it in a tangential way. Uh, We think, oh, well, you know, if we give him $10, I wonder what I will get in return for that $10, (laughs) right? And the whole goal of the protocol is to say, there's nothing for you in this process, right? There is no reciprocation. There is no quid pro quo. It is about you giving yourself unselfishly to a bigger cause, which will in turn change you. Mm, Yeah. And then there's also another aspect of your protocol that's kindness to others. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that's what these four to five acts are during the course of the week. And people can choose whatever they choose to do. It can be very small. It can Mm -hmm. be 90 seconds to a couple minutes, or it can be very long, you know, and it's, it's, let me give you a couple of examples. I mean, for example, one of the days um, that I counted in my journey was, is that I just went out to eat. I I like to have um, this um, ahi tuna salad from, um, from a local little restaurant. And oh, it's so good with the dressing and the sesame seeds. Yeah, I agree. I, can, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> and plus it's fairly healthy for you, you know, to a yeah. great extent. And it's pretty, mm-hmm. pretty healthy for you. Um, and one of the cash register people just really an excellent job. She she I could tell she was Hispanic, but she her English was excellent and the way she engaged, it was one of the best ordering environments I ever had. And I said, you know, I have to let you know that um, what I've been, I mean, you've took my order today, but I want you to let me know that you really did an excellent job. You listened to what I said, you were quick, you're fast, and you had a smile on your face the whole time. It really made a difference to me today of how you uh, took my order. Now, I can promise you that um, not, she probably doesn't hear that very often. Yeah, um, maybe second, never. Yeah, probably never. Never. Um, but what I noticed is that she went back kind of in silently talked to the staff in the back and I could see them cooking and putting the food together. And then they all started looking at me as being someone that is what's wrong with this guy, you know, that's why it could be that way. Or they could say, yeah, that was pretty impressive. 
now every time I go in there, if she's working that particular day, she's even brighter and just has this even like, I know you type of smile. And so it can be something as small as that. Yeah. And there's, and then I know, because I was thinking that you're, I was like, oh, he's going to give her money. <laughs> well, and that is a very common type of way that we think. Yes. But yes. I'll tell you what, is that you can give money to people if you choose to, but I found money to be appropriate at the certain moments when there's probably not a lot of options available to you other than giving them money. Um, and you probably can go to like an Uber rider, Uber ride or a Lyft ride. Um, as being examples of that. But let me give you another example where it took a little bit more effort on my part, where I think it made a difference in somebody's life. And I went to a different restaurant. This was a sushi restaurant and I ordered my food and they came back um, with a wonderful dinner. It was one of the top sushi places in Salt Lake City. It's a place I really enjoy going. And um, I had some leftover ahi tuna uh, just some ahi. And it was just a really small little amount of sushi. And I said, so if you could, could you bring me the smallest little container that you have? Thinking that I'll get a little box and a bag and everything else. Well, he brought out a soy sauce cup. You know how lovely those plastic <laughs> soy sauce cups And so I ended up taking a picture of him. Um, and um, and then I sent it off to my graphic artist. And I said, would you do a quick picture of Oscar, that's the name of the waiter, along with the sushi cup. Um, and I decided that I was going to give this picture to him as a gift. So my graphic artist is really excellent and I really enjoy working with him. This is, I, I should probably tell that story as well. Okay. But, but he came back uh, with this illustration. I framed it and I put, a, uh, I put a notation on it and I delivered it back to the restaurant the next day. Now, unfortunately, Oscar wasn't working that day, so I wasn't able to see what result I would have from that gifting experience, if you want to call it that. Um, and it, two months went by, but I could tell the staff was fairly excited about it because they called him from the phone. He was making plans to come over to pick it up, but I never heard what the feedback was was on the on the experience. Then two months went by, and I had dinner with some colleagues at the very same restaurant. And um, Oscar was working that night and he didn't remember me or what I looked like, but he remembered what I did for him. And I said, Oscar, and I said, did you uh, get that gift that I sent to you a couple of months or I brought dropped by the restaurant a couple of months ago of that picture? And he said, that was you? And um, <laughs> I said, yes. And he said, yeah, I have to let you know that that picture hangs above my dresser. I look at it every night before I go to bed. And it was just something that brings a smile to my face. And I was so excited to get it. The staff was excited to see it. And um, they were just, it was just something that made my day. And he had fun reliving the experience. I had fun uh, kind of hearing his experience. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is kind of the irony. I have these two colleagues sitting at the table and they don't know what in the world is going on. <laughs> right. And because these are business people, I said, what in the world did you do? What? Why is he being so excited and yeah. um, with that experience? And then to top it off, not that this was requested, he said he dropped by a free dessert for our table. I yeah. didn't. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want right. it. It didn't make the experience any more special than it already was. But he felt kind of so touched that he wanted to do something in return, which obviously we accepted graciously. 
So the whole concept here is you can do something that's small or you can do something a little bit more elaborate, but it really doesn't have to cost a lot of money, you know, in the process of begin thinking outwardly. The goal is, is making sure that you go through that 100 day journey, even though I want to talk about a couple alternatives to that as well, in order so that it becomes an ingrained habit. And I think that's the true benefit. If you can get to the point where it becomes ingrained into your everyday behavior, then it becomes very natural for you. And so today, I mean, there's not a day that goes by that I'm not doing two or three different activities for people, as long as I'm socially engaging with people on the outside, that I feel like that I'm making a difference in people's lives. And it just, it's not something I have to think about. It's not something I have to plan. It's just something that I do on, on an ongoing basis. And obviously, a lot of people are in that mindset already, but for me, it was new. And I think you would find that most, most people get out of the habit of thinking that way predominantly. And if they do so, there's so many benefits associated with it. Yeah, that's amazing. So I, this is might be a silly question, but I was wondering that little container, did it hold the fish or was he joking? Well, interestingly enough, I get I get that question. So it's not yeah. it's not a silly question at all. Okay. I started putting my my little sushi pieces in and it was perfect. Ah, <laughs> it was perfect. Okay. Well, see, he was intuitive too. That's yeah, yeah. so so now this is, to me, this is like conscious acts of kindness because you're actually telling the person they know it's you and everything. And so what's the difference between the do something wonderful protocol and random acts of kindness? Yeah, well, I don't think it's any different in terms of what um, the activities that you'll end up doing because random is the very same thing as the do something wonderful protocol. I think there is one distinction that has to be made on that effort, though, between what is an act of kindness? Is it something that is that you do voluntarily and you're known for doing it or you do it anonymously and you kind of hide behind this little curtain where you can pull a trigger on something or a lever and something happens for something you gift money or you you um, you you do something. For example, my wife was at the grocery store this past Christmas and somebody swooped in and put a hundred dollar bill in somebody's hand and then magically disappeared. Nobody knew who did it necessarily. There's nothing wrong either direction, whether it's anonymous or whether it's a um, whether it's known at the time. My personal preference, having done so multiple times, either both directions, I much prefer giving face-to-face because I think it's really important to live in the moment, to live and absorb the enthusiasm, the joy that somebody, to see how people's eyes light up, the expression on their face. We're a human uh, connected family. We have light within us. They have light within them. When you do an act of kindness with others, we share light with each other. And um, and to me, I think it's a much more meaningful human connection when you can have that type of personalized experience face-to-face. And consciously, when you do this, you should make sure that you open your arms wide and take in what's happening. It doesn't mean we gloat. It doesn't mean that we boast. Right. It means that we live in the moment, what I call living gratitude, means we live within the moment of gratitude to accept the, the return gift which is an emotional state of happiness that somebody's experiencing. 
Mm, yes. And I know they've also done research to demonstrate that simply observing an act of kindness can increase the endorphins and affect that person just as if they were receiving it. Yes, I I, I have read the same type of research and I absolutely mm-hmm. agree with you. And on the, on the flip side of it, you have when you observe something catastrophic in nature, it can, have, it can have an opposite type of effect. Um, I, I mean, not to tell, keep on telling stories, but this, this is what makes these interviews interesting. Yeah. I just, I just happened to um, be in Paris um, in about seven years ago. Excuse me. It was eight years ago. And I was traveling between Paris and Amsterdam to catch my flight back to the States. Mm-hmm. Um, and the train, there was a strike in Belgium, the train stopped and the conductor came by and he pointed at people to stand guard by the door to open the doors because it was the middle of summer. It was really, really hot. And I was, he pointed at me, you go by this, stand by this door. And then people would come up to, um, to take care, you know, and go back in their seats. Well, I, I really enjoyed the experience because one, I got to stand by the all the fresh air, nobody else <laughs> full time, but I had, there was a grand, there was a grandparents on, and they had a couple of kids and their um, daughter and son were also on the board, the plane or train. And they came over with the grandkids uh, to, I guess, some fresh air. And I had really just an enjoyable time visiting with everybody. Uh, we made our way to the doors after two hours, ended up closing. We continued on, they settled their strike issues. And we stayed in Amsterdam the next night. And I found out in my conversations with them that we're going to be on a flight to Kuala Lumpur uh, the very next day. I was heading to the airport to head back to the States. Our planes were literally right across from one another. We were at the international terminal. I saw oh, them. Wow. Get I saw so them. So the get on gates their, were like right there. Yeah. Yeah. I saw them get on their Malaysian airline flights. I was getting on a Delta flight coming back to the States. When I landed, I found out that this flight had had crashed in Ukraine. And the result of two Russian missiles coming from the eastern Ukraine border shot the plane down. You may have remembered this and the plane crashed um, in um, eastern Ukraine. It was devastating. And you can imagine uh, it's devastating for everybody. I mean, for the -hmm. parents that were still alive because they went back with their grand, the kids went back with their grandparents. Um, and then it's, it's, it's devastating for everyone that just is aware of that situation. It's, and I just remember the sickening feeling of the, of all these events that transpired, uh, that made this happen. And I couldn't, I mean, there's, it's, it's just devastating nevertheless. So you can have these endorphins on a positive side, but you're dealing with life experiences. And I think that's the important note is that you have these macro experiences that we're all going through that we have very little control over to zero control over. And we couldn't control what uh, a foreign nation was going to do. Um, we couldn't control, you know, the uh, the day that, uh, or we could have controlled the day, but that was the right set. It was a, a series of chances of, by which this happened. And so it's it's just really interesting that we put ourselves living life and we can have both positive and negative things happen to us. Sometimes we can control it and other times we can't. The only thing that we can is how do we respond to the situations that we're, that we're, we find ourselves in. Mm, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so did you take it hard? Did you give yourself some time? 
Um, you know, it was interesting. I I was back home, and I have I had uh, one grandchild at that point, and it was it was something that you just kind of, you know, I've been through other circumstances where it's been upsetting and challenging, and so this this part of tragedy is not unique in ter- in terms of things that I've dealt with in You're my alive. life. Yeah. But it allowed me just to renew the emphasis is what is important. You begin thinking about how to kind of, again, build yourself out of it. And so Mm. the objective here is going back to do something wonderful protocol, whether you call it a random acts of kindness, do a good uh, deed daily or whatever you want to call it. This mindset is so critical to make sure that you are living a healthy, vibrant, worthwhile life. Mm. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and I love it because it sounds simple and easy. I mean, do some people come to you with disbelief? Like, does this really work? I think, you know, interestingly enough, um, because we do this on media pretty yeah. consistently and there's a number of people that are asking and we have the book that's coming out next week. Um, and so I overall, I would say 99% of the time, um, the response is just like, you're doing what? I say, how did you think of that? And yeah. or maybe I should do that. How do I get a copy of the book? And so I think universally is accepted as a truth, right? And I yeah. think that's something that we've tapped into that I think is unique. If you go into any major religion, um, basically it's about how we give ourselves to one another. Um, and it's ingrained in and embedded in our genetic material inside of it. We get lost in the process of life. And so what I'm doing is teaching a truth that is embedded, not just in religion in general, but it's embedded within our DNA. I'm just paying, I'm calling attention to it. Now, I still wonder if somebody's going to come up to me and say, well, this is awfully simple. I mean, I could have thought of that. And, and I'd say to people, well, I remember a, a different story where someone created this piece of art. It was a big orange canvas with a purple dot in the middle. And someone said the same thing. I could have done that. And he he said, yes, but I did. And you didn't, right? (laughs) Right. That's Uh, right. Right. In in any event. It's still valuable. Well, and the other part, I think that is the valuable portion is how it's been tested. I mean, we've gone through the process. We've, we've went through different configurations of how the program works. And this seems to be the best way to make it habitual in nature. Now, we do have a couple different options for people, too, as they're thinking about how to deploy this. And it's what I call a 10-hour SNAP program. And we ask people to do two kind activities for others during the course of the uh, the day. Uh, Excuse me, four kind activities during the course of the day. One, uh, write a letter to somebody that's meaningful to them and tell them something that they have never told them before in terms of how much they mean to them. The second is to make a phone call or a Zoom call to somebody and do exactly the same type of thing. And the third one is do um, a kind act for somebody in a social circumstance as you're going about your day. And the fourth one is doing something unexpected for somebody, you know, in terms of making the bed, making them dinner, you know, buy somebody a book or whatever it's meaningful to you. And then the last stage is doing something good for yourself. And the goal is to ask yourself this question after you conclude this day is what do you think people were feeling if 
and when they received that letter. What were people feeling when they had that phone call with you? What did people feel uh, when they when you engaged with them in this social act? And what did people feel when they when you did this uh, unexpected act of kindness for them, making their bed, giving the book, whatever the case might be? And then how did you feel after you did something wonderful for yourself? And in that exercise, what we're trying to do is create kind of a snapping effect of saying, oh, well, this, this actually might make sense. And so instead of taking the full 100 days, they can do something kind of quick and easy for them to begin getting them out of that process of only thinking of themselves or just thinking internally or just taking a little bit too much weight of the world on themselves and not being able to think externally for others. Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Now, I, why a hundred days? Is it because it takes that long to ingrain this habit? Yeah, I, that's a really good question. Everybody's been all over the board about how long does it take to get a habit um, established within a person's psyche. And some people said, well, all you need is 19 days or 21 days. And the less days, the better. You know, we're in the American society, the faster, the better. Well, the reality is, is, is that according to all the research that is coming out in the past year or two, it's really signaling that it, it can take anywhere from 30 to 40 days, all the way up to 200 mm. days. Okay. And, and the average is somewhere between that 60 to 70 day. Now, I will say that there are many people that probably can make this ha- habitual formation in a much faster time frame. For example, I bet you could probably do it within... You probably already have it, to be honest with you. <laughs> not, not to, not to signal. Well, I mean, I, I'm not there, but almost. I, yeah, I, I'm. Well, I'm probably a little more frequent with doing something for myself, and then the kind acts might only be three day, you know, three yeah, yeah. times. So yeah. Yeah. And I can, I get that sense just by having this type of podcast. I mean, you're probably in that zone and I would suspect many of your listeners are in that zone Might as be well. already. Yeah. Yeah. So for most people, for some, I'd say for a distinct minority, and that's the key is the minority that this transition is not going to take much distance uh, for them to be able to incorporate. But then there's others that they just can't think that way. I mean, just because of the pressures of what they deal with at home or having children at home or their workplace is maybe toxic um, or they may be dealing with issues that are just outside of their control in terms of the pressures that they're feeling in society in general. And so it might take them a little bit of time. If it's a male audience, I can promise you it's probably going to take them a little bit longer to get that type of mindset working within their lives. And um, so I would say it's going to take that around that 60 to 70 days before it becomes ingrained in terms of a pattern. The reason why we chose 100, it just seemed like a good round number, because once you get in the habit, it's nothing to continue on, right? Yeah, (laughs) or it's fun. Maybe you can enjoy it. Well, I think that's a very important point. That's an extremely important point is I never felt that it was a hardship to do this program. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I I never felt like, oh, do I have to do something good for somebody today? Um, And it becomes quite the opposite. It becomes something, oh, what can I do for somebody today? 
right? And what will that thing be as well? Because you you don't know necessarily creatively what you're going, how you're going to resolve a situation. And so that's the other interesting part of that. There's multiple benefits associated with this that I talk about in the book. But on the flip side of this, one of the things I've noticed in terms of my career, I'm, I'm a fairly creative person. But as I've aged, I've noticed my creativity beginning to get rusty, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that. And in that process of trying to figure out these, these issues on an every single day basis, I found my creativity rejuvenated uh, and I was able to accomplish more during the course of the day. And so there's, there's, um, it's just not the endorphins, it's actual mental skill sets that improve and rejuvenate how you practice your life on an ongoing basis as well. Beyond well, that's two two benefits. We have yeah. go ahead. Are there more? Beyond the ability just to feel happier, peaceful, more optimism. It's what I call spiritual uh self being spiritually self-sufficient, meaning that many times people out go out and they find God or find I need to find happiness on the outside. In reality, as I think you're probably aware, the happiness comes from within. And that only that happiness can only come of how we create an amendable relationship with somebody else and how we give ourselves to other people. So when you finish this exercise of going through day after day of doing something for wonderful for other people and then focusing on yourself once or twice each week, you'll find yourself in a different sphere. You'll find an internal wellspring of optimism. You'll find this internal wellspring of well-being, uh, personal well-being as your ability to emanate uh, that well-being out to other people. And so I noticed that even the other benefit of having these social connections is that when you do engage socially with people, they seem to be a little bit more open. They seem to be more accepting in a world that is beginning to close down more and more um, because of a lot of different issues. The pandemic didn't help, obviously, for what we went through. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. It's, there's so many benefits. It's amazing. So what's next for you? Are you going to go on tour or what are yeah, your I plans? Think- I think that we're, what we're going to do is um, we are coming out with this book, uh, which is the Do Something Wonderful Protocol. I mean, you can buy it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and, and eventually all your independent bookstores. And then we have this other little book that's called uh, One, Two, Three, A Better Me. It's a children's book that we're oh, coming out with. Oh, my God. That's a companion uh, to it. Wonderful. Yes. So that will be coming out in the next month or two. And then we're also creating two companion pieces with the book. One is a 1001 activities that you can do. And so sometimes people need to find out, okay, so what do I do today? Instead of going out and problem solving for themselves, they can actually look through a list of things that they could do. And so that's that's list is completed. We're just getting the cover design and we're gonna be publishing it shortly after the book comes out. And then we also have what I call the journey book, the Do Something Wonderful journey book. And it's the same thing I do in my book where I, I note kind of what I ended up doing for the day, what the experience was like on a scale from one to 10. People can write that in, how much it cost me, and then what feelings did I have about it after I concluded the event. And so they can actually have a record of their journey as well. And so we'll have oh, all have fun. companion pieces available too. Oh, I love it. I love it. I'm a children's book author as well. So that's near and dear to my heart to see that you have a companion for that. And oh my gosh, just getting it out into schools and to grandparents to read to their kids or 
That, yeah. That's amazing. So last question, what is Zen success to you? You know, peace, peace, and having this, um, what's most meaningful to me in my life is having what I call the light of God. And this light is, um, is extraordinary. It is, um, and the only way I can express it is if somebody has expressed or had experienced the light of God in their lives, meaning the brilliancy and the immersion of being within that light, you'd figure out how you're interconnected, um, not just to other humans, but through all living life forms and how, what our responsibility is uh, to other people. So what Zen success means to me is living true to that light and that experience that I've had and making sure that I'm giving appropriately at the appropriate time with the people that surround me and the causes and the environment that I'm dealing with. And that's what brings me peace and happiness. And when I find myself isolated, when I find myself trapped in some situation of my choosing or not my choosing, um, I don't experience that same level of peacefulness. And so that's what I try to do in my life. I fast for 40 hours, uh, beginning Sunday night to Tuesday morning every week. Um, okay. I have my own personal meditation and gratitude practice that I go through on Tuesday morning uh, through this kind of a private type of prayer that I express, expressing my appreciation for the light of God. And so for me, that's, that is the most meaningful part of my journey in life. And it's a weekly event that is brought me a great deal of peace and comfort and love in my life. Mm, well, thank you for sharing that personal practice that you have too. And, and your definition is incredible. It's been such a pleasure connecting with you and learning about your protocol and book, do something wonderful. So everybody buy his book and I'll put your website and how to order your book in the show notes. Thanks for being on my show today, Jean. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be with you. That's it for today's episode of Zen Success. Head on over to iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to shows. Zen Success is also available on the radio in select markets through amfm247.com. Subscribe to the show and share with friends. Be sure to head on over to zensuccessshow.com to help you on your Zen Success journey. And join us on the next episode. May you find your own Zen Success in life.